are in the midst of a, a series where we're talking about finding purpose in life. One of the men in our church is launching, well, he's been in his second career. He's retired as a construction, uh, not supervisor, but contractor of doing schools and other big projects where he's from. And he's gone into missions. And when he went into missions, his job is to connect um, missionaries and uh, indigenous mission works with churches here in the United States. So I've asked Nick Donoff uh, because to come and speak, uh, share with you because uh, part of his setup, in other words, what he's supposed to be doing is once a month taking a personal day. And personal day, I don't think, means golf. But other things. Go ahead, Nick. Why don't you? Maybe. Yeah, okay. It's a personal day. Go ahead. So first of all, I'm really glad you got them quieted down for me. That was hard. <laughs> and I'm stepping back a few steps because I don't want to do what he almost just did. <laughs> well, uh, as Jim was saying, I, I have changed careers. I work with the Evangelical Free Church of America. That's our denomination in its missions department. And I have the pleasure of serving our missionaries and our partners in Southeast Asia by helping them connect up with churches and people here in the United States. So I do a lot of travel. I enjoy that a lot. And it's really a blessing for me in this, like Jim says, my second career. Well, uh, Reach Global gives me the, um, gives me the right and, uh, and responsibility to plan when I, you know, plan my work. And uh, it's something I never even did as my own contractor. I didn't do a lot of intentional planning. However, um, they encourage us in, in, their, in, our, in our missions department to, do, uh, to develop a rhythm, a monthly rhythm and an annual rhythm of study and planning and preparation. And um, so what they ask of me is monthly to take what we call a personal retreat day. I, uh, I, I, I try to take the whole day, try to avoid as many interruptions as possible. I start out with a really nice long study. I read a, cha- a book in the Bible or something like that, maybe two hours of study. And then I do basically two elements. I, I take a look back at the month preceding uh, to see how I did on my personal goals and on my, uh, my ministry goals and uh, just take a look and see how they all went. And then I look ahead to the month, the next month, and I plan those things. And so um, it's, it's, a, it's a monthly rhythm that really gives me direction and keeps me focused. Annually, they ask me to do something very similar. We, we all work in teams, and so we all have our own personal goals, our own ministry goals, and we also have team goals that we are asked to, to follow and that we choose. And so each year... I take a, an annual retreat week, and I go off somewhere, hopefully where, again, there aren't interruptions, and I do some studying, I do some worshiping, and, and then I look at the year preceding, and I, I do an evaluation, which I turn into my uh, coach, and then I look ahead to the year, uh, the year coming up. So this whole rhythm gives me a lot of intentionality in my life. They allow me to do it. They encourage me to do it. I do it uh, in my personal uh, in my personal life, in terms of my personal study, my health, uh, my family, and I also do it with my uh, ministry things. And um, it gives me great purpose and focus in my life. Thank you. Believe it or not, you were living for somebody's purpose. Uh, 
or someone, something, you're living for somebody's purpose. And as Nick was sharing that, I was looking at some of the mothers, and I know you were shaking your head saying, I'm lucky if I get 10 minutes of personal planning. And for those of you who are homeschoolers, well, they're going to leave sometime. And maybe you won't have them around as much. And maybe you are living for the purpose of raising your children. It's not a bad thing. Is it God's thing? Let me share some of the other things that people tend to do when they're talking about living on purpose. Maybe they make up their own. That's fine. Is it working? Uh, some of you living for the purpose of your employer or living for the purposes of your spouse or living for the purposes of your church. And I hope you're not doing that. Oh, we have plenty of places where we would love for you to volunteer. But we're not your purpose. God's your purpose. And God has a purpose for each of one, one of you. We understand that, first of all, because God is a God of purpose. When he was involved in creation, he ended every part of his creation saying, it is very good. It is good. In other words, it wasn't, oh, how did I mess up on that part? You see, he wants to finish things in a way in which he looks at them and says, it's exactly what I want. So we understand from Psalm chapter 8 that the earth declares his glory. The whole universe does. What he has created, he has created intentionally, and God has created them for good things that he has planned. God's church is a church of purpose. The main church is to glorify God by making disciples. We bring God honor by making disciples. And God's people also should see themselves as a people of purpose, And as a people of purpose, the purpose should be fitting into what God wants for their lives, not necessarily what all these other people want for your lives. God, then, as he looks at humanity, says, I want you to be living on purpose. How are we doing with that? And understand that if God is not setting your purpose, uh, as many skeptics and atheists have tried to, uh, you know, uh, think through in their minds, One of the great uh, minds of the last century was a man by the name of Bertrand Russell. And he was, as an atheist, trying to think through, what is the purpose of mankind if there's no God? He comes up with this conclusion. Unless you assume a God, the question of life's purpose is meaningless. Russell couldn't live with that. So later on, he wrote, well, assuming there is no God, which he did... It appears that most people find their purpose in the work that they perform. Friends, I spent two summers sweeping my father's factory. And man, was it hard to think of why there was any of God's purpose in that. There's nothing wrong with sweeping. And a couple people tried to tell me how important it was. But I want you to know, that was not enough. And I hope it's not enough for you. I find it disillusioning to think that as a special creation of God, my purpose is only involved in the work that I do in the world. So I want to challenge you this morning. I want you to seek God's purpose for your life. And I want you to find it in Him. And I want you to know that that purpose for your life that God has set up uh, goes with you whatever season you're in, Whatever location you find yourself in, God goes with it. It will last. 
We are to be a people of purpose, not just a God of purpose and a church of purpose, but individually a people of purpose. Now, in, in, uh, in a letter that Paul wrote to a very group of secular Christians in a city called Corinth, it was a harbor city that was filled with different philosophies and ideas. And when I call it secular, it's not because there wasn't uh, many gods that they worshipped. It's that the gods that they worshipped were the ones who they were hoping would help them have commercial success. Honor this God and you'll get rich. Honor this God, you'll be successful. If this God doesn't do it, find a new one. And people did. And so as he's writing these secular Christians, aren't we glad we don't live in a secular world today? As he's writing these secular Christians, Christians, he's trying to, uh, he's trying to help them make the, the jump. Uh, have the transformation going on in their minds and their hearts so it affects the, uh, uh, the activities that they do. And he's trying to say, well, there's two types of people. There's those that look through things just the human way, secular way, and there's those who look at things the heavenly way. So I'm in Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, and let me just read it now before I begin to explain it and, and apply it for you. It begins in verse 16. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we were making his appeal through us. Let me read that again. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. So there's two types of people. And we understand we live in both worlds. We look at people one way or another. We look at them from the human point of view. How do we look at them? We look at them in terms of what's your appearance like? How are you dressed? What is your personality like? How smart are you? What level of education did you achieve? How successful are you? How rich are you? These are evaluations that we as humans do all the time. We understand it. It's very natural. But it's the human way to look at other people. And what he is saying is, so from now on, we regard nobody from a worldly point of view. You know, one of the reasons why we say come as you are here, is not only are we not perfect, but it's not what you're coming with or what you're coming as. Uh, What we want you to do is to find Jesus Christ among us and watch him do a transformation in you. We all have to start somewhere. And so we say, come as you are. We do not expect you to be perfect. And we will try very hard not to evaluate you in just those ways. Because in addition to the human standards, God gives a heavenly one. And he puts it this way in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old is gone. The new has come. Christ's people are new creations of God. And they become new creations when they place their faith in Jesus Christ. They bring with them the same human markers, the same standards, the same identification marks, you might say, as they had before. But we are called to look at them as new people. People regarded Jesus just the same way that we regarded people. They looked at Jesus and they said, well, he might have great charisma. There might be some wonderful personal power in him, but son of God, no, that just cannot be. And so as as followers of Jesus Christ, we say we don't look at him in a human way anymore. He's deity. He's God's son. And we don't look at each other that way anymore, or we work at it. Not that we're deity, but we're new creations. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Now, as the Corinthians were hearing this, they were going, wow, that's, that's quite a change because, you know, we have in our church uh, those that have a lot of personal problems. We have those in our church who are very successful and are keeping the church afloat. We have those in our church that are great teachers. We have those in our church that do miraculous works. And then we just have a lot of people, just normal, regular people. And they looked at them in human ways. And he said, stop it. We are new creations. And how did we become a new creation? Well, if we're looking at them in human ways, we had some a plastic surgeon do some work on us. And look at us. Did you notice my nose job? You didn't? Good. I didn't have one. Or we hire a personal trainer. Or we go, and, you know, we go on the Oprah show and, and, and we get a new makeover. We believe that these are some things that maybe make us different, but they are not making us new creations made by God and for God. And the one thing new about us as a Christian and all Christians is we're new because we are reconciled to God. There's a big word there, reconciled. Uh, it's not used much in the world today. It's only used four times in the New Testament. But it is a key concept to understand the new creation. Every new creation is reconciled by God. That is what makes us new. We say in the world, in a worldly point of view, marriages can be reconciled when two, when, when two partners are, you know, just about ready to call it quits and, and somebody comes in and they help bring them back together. Uh, for those of you that are accountants, uh, often a financial statement when audited has to be reconciled. In other words, somebody goofed. And it has to be brought into reality, into truth. To reconcile means that we bring two parties together who were separated. Now, we might think, well, that's separated by distance. And that's one way to look at it. But really, it's a, it's a separation by character. By his very nature, God is a holy God. That means perfect in every way. Perfect in every way. And by my human nature, not so good, not so perfect, not perfect in any way. Therefore, as an old creature, as God looks upon me, he says, Jim, I love you, but man, you're really messed up. And I am. And even though I'm now a new creation, I still am somewhat messy. Okay, 
But he looks at me and he says, okay, now that you're a new creation, the separation is over. Not because of, of how good you become, but because of the solution I have for you. You are imperfect in every way. You're separated in your relationship with me. But I have offered you forgiveness through Christ's death on the cross. And through Christ's death on the cross, you are now possessing the same righteousness as Jesus himself. And so through God's son, you are now restored to your relationship with God, reconciled, brought back together. And it's not anything necessarily you did. It's something that God had to do for you. And that's what verse 18 and 19 says. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the, uh, the ministry of reconciliation. Boy, there's a lot of reconciling going on in these verses, isn't there? That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. As I have conversations with people who are not followers of Jesus, they're a little offended by a verse like this. Uh, you know, they say, look, God and I aren't enemies. I just, you know, I, I just want to be left alone. I don't want to be controlled. I love a God that I can say to, I'll call you when I need you, God, but until I need you, please, just keep your distance. Or other people say, you know, I am good enough person on my own, and I don't need God's help, therefore, God, leave me alone. It's this independent spirit that is in a lot of humanity that brings a division. It is a division that says, I don't need God, even though I'm not perfect, I'm good enough. And, and we don't understand that in God's eyes, we need to be reconciled. We need to be made good enough through the righteousness that he gives us. If you do not yet find this easy to do, learn from me. Uh, Pope Francis has said it. Now I'm going to say it. My name is Jim DeMoler, and I'm a needy sinner. My name is Jim DeMoler, and I'm a needy sinner. My name's not Pope Francis, okay? My name is Jim DeMoler, and I'm a needy sinner. Those of you that look at people in human ways would say, well, then what are you doing up here? And I'm representing you in a way so that hopefully you can say with honesty and integrity, my name is, fill in the blank, whatever your name is, and I'm a needy sinner. If you are unable to say that, then you don't think you need to be reconciled. If you are able to say that, then you should probably already be reconciled. Uh, You need to call yourself, get to that point where you say, I am a needy sinner and God needs to give you his righteousness that will come through Jesus and through Jesus alone. That's what it means to be reconciled to God and most people would consider or prefer to look at life in the more worldly way. I'm not perfect, but I'm good enough. And God shows us the heavenly description 
of what it means to be reconciled. He says it's bringing the two of you back together so that you are now acceptable to God, even though your personal life may still be a little messy. And his description is this, just three words, four words, be reconciled to God. There are those who are reconciled and those who are not reconciled. Just two types of people in God's eyes. So those who are reconciled now are given this one new purpose. And I want to say that the purpose I'm giving you is, is uh, huge and it, it, goes, it fits everyone who's a follower of Jesus. But more than that, you will find uh, your own individual and, and unique ways to do it. And here it is in verse 20. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That becomes our new purpose. We find it in our new identity, Christ ambassadors. Now, maybe you've studied ambassadorships uh, in terms of the worldly view from our State Department. Our ambassadors change often, especially with every administration. They come in all shapes and all forms, and many of them, uh, become ambassadors because they make large contributions to the election of the current president. Oh, come on, be honest. You know that's true. Now, with my contribution to the, to the president, I couldn't even get into Uzbekistan because I don't give much politically to either party. But others who would give tens of millions of dollars in one way or another, they get Paris. They get Hong Kong. That's how we think an ambassador is. It's something that they bought their way into. But, and it's not, not even that. It's not even the, the career person who is needed in a very strategic place because of the training. We are ambassadors because we've been reconciled. That's it. That's our new identity. Ambassadors because we are reconciled. And so that's the heavenly way to look at it, to consider what a new creation is. We are reconciled to God, so who can better display God's reconciliation than us? We will come in all sizes and all backgrounds, um, and yet we share that same identity. God looks at us as the ambassadors that he has set aside to honor Jesus Christ. And our job is to reflect the interest not of our country, but of God. We will speak the message not of our country, but of our God. And the message of the ambassadors is the same one for the last 2,000 years. Be reconciled. Be reconciled. Now, I know some of you are thinking, Jim, you're trying to make me into an evangelist. And you would be partly right. Partly right. But I'm trying to help you understand more than that, God's purpose for you. And then understanding with that new identity, how do you live that out? So... It was St. Francis who who is reported to have said, speak the gospel. In other words, be reconciled. Speak it everywhere. But use words if you must. There are many techniques of being an ambassador. Uh, But but there's still only one great heavenly purpose for our lives. Let's, Let's call some lady in our church the ambassador to, um, uh, to, uh, Kenya. Okay. If you were assigned the ambassadorship of Kenya, 
The idea is you go to Kenya, you live in the embassy, but the idea is you do not bring attention to yourself, but to the company, to the country you represent. As an ambassador of Jesus, I bring attention to the Jesus that I represent. I promote the interest and the message of the one that I represent, and so does she. The ambassador of Jesus promotes Jesus and not herself. The ambassador of Jesus makes clear the fuzzy perceptions that people have about Jesus. The ambassador of Jesus makes Jesus look good. The ambassador of Jesus brings honor to Jesus and not to herself. And if you're wondering how to say it, then just look with me at verse 21 here. Because it's, it's, it's beautiful. It really is special. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the Greek, it's only 15 words. When we put it in English, we had to make it 23. I'm still trying to figure that out why. But in the Greek, it's just 15 words. What's the message we give? How do we say it? How do we make it so succinct that even we can memorize it and and, and share it with others? God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we become the righteousness of God. Reconciled. Reconciled. That's the message. That's the one we represent. We are Christ ambassadors, giving that message continually. You know, now I want to share with you an example of how this has worked out in my life. In the last... Uh, four years, life has been pretty busy getting into this facility. And uh, uh, I have enjoyed it, but it has been a lot of things that I'm not necessarily good at. Some people took them over, and some people left them with me, and they knew I wasn't good at it. But we're here. And as we're here, we're experiencing what I call the new normal. What will the new normal look like for Bergen Park Church? And as I'm uh, understanding what this new church facility has done for us and the new thinking that has come in behind that that new facility, now I am reflecting on how I best represent Jesus Christ as his ambassador at this Bergen Park Church. Now, as I do this, this is an example, not a template. I'm not asking you to duplicate for your life what I'm about to share with you, but I'd like you to reflect on is. in in terms of what I'm about to share, is there integrity behind it? Many of you know me. You know me fairly well. And as I go through this, uh, I would prefer that you not go, oh, no, Jim, that's not you at all, okay? You can tell me. But the reason I'm doing this is so that you can do it yourself. So that you can do it yourself. Um, So here we go. The way that I am Christ's ambassador presenting this message of be reconciled with God it is probably different for me than for you. But over the years, God has given me just a whole series of uh, what I would call um, wonderful verses. But now I'm narrowing it down to three. For the rest of my life, I'm praying that I can be uh, God's ambassador representing Jesus Christ by doing these three things. The first is... I'm going to go and make disciples. Uh, what do I mean by that? Well, a disciple is a lifelong follower of Jesus. 
And believe me, that, has been, that is what has been exciting me since 23 years of age. Uh, I want to make disciples. And when I first said, yes, Lord, that's what I want to do, uh, I had no idea that I'd be standing in front of people talking about it. But that's what I want to do. And I found that for the last 40 years, the most effective way to do that is standing in front of people and talking about it. And so I've been the lead pastor of two churches. That's the first thing on my heart is, am I making disciples? And, you know, uh, you wonder, when do I get cranky? When do I uh, become a real pain in the neck for Barb? It's when I think I'm not living on purpose. The, the second thing that I'm involved in is here, it's Ezra 710, uh, because this is another way in which I will make disciples. It's not how everybody else will do it, but it's, it's the way I want to do it. For Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to practice it and to teach its statutes and ordinances in Israel. Now, when I say study the law of the Lord, that is one thing that you allow me to do uh, as part of my schedule, and I really thank you for that. But it's not just study, but it's practice and then teach. Now, some of you have known people who call themselves, you know, religious workers or whatever, who forget the practice. And you call them hypocrites, and you'd be right. Some of you know people who don't study and try to teach, and you call them shallow, and you would be right. And some of you uh, know people who perhaps uh, leave out the teaching and so they're sort of in their ivory tower and never making contact with people. Ezra said his heart to study, practice, and teach. And you're welcome to talk to me if you don't think my practice that you see is correct. I want to do all three. There has to be an example of integrity. And that's the best way ahead for me. The third one is this. First Thessalonians 5, 8. Because we loved you, it was a joy for us not only to give you the gospel of God, but our very hearts so dear did you become to us. Because we loved you, Paul is saying to this group of new Christians in Thessalonica, we wanted to not just to give you the truth, but we wanted to give you ourselves. Ourselves. So it's been impressed upon me that I'm just not here to teach the truth, but I'm constantly be involved in people's lives. And, 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 and I have found that as an example, uh, if you look at my schedule and you talk about how I spend my time, there's a lot of things I do that have nothing to do with those three things. Um, part of being a pastor of a church is to administrate the church to, to you know there's forms to fill out there's i mean any of you who've done this work know that you've got to report to certain people be on certain committees and things like that and that's fine but you squeeze all of those out of my life and you won't like me very much because i don't like me very much it's not the way i'm his ambassador now, I share those with you, and I want to leave you an example, um, one other example. But as I do that, I don't expect you maybe to say my life's purpose is set up because of these three verses. I hope it becomes that way, that you understand, you know, the reason I'm on this earth is to fulfill and honor God, uh, fulfill this purpose and honor God as his ambassador in these ways. Um, several years ago, 
the Academy, uh, best film for the Academy Awards was, uh, um, Chariots of Fire. And Chariots of Fire, and if you've never seen it, you people under 50, uh, I suggest you rent it. Uh, if you've never seen it, understand here's what happens. It's a, it's a life study of two real people. One's name is Harold Abrams, Abrahams, and he's a Jew at Oxford. He's a very lonely guy, sorry, a Jew at Cambridge, and a very lonely guy. Because as far as he knows, he's the only Jew there. And he feels all this anti-Semitism because he's surrounded by so many white Protestants, okay? And uh, so he decides that he's going to be driven. And his purpose is really drivenness. And he devotes himself to the academics. He's at the top of his class. He devotes himself to musical theater, and he plays the lead role. Gilbert and Sullivan, and he uh, devotes himself to athletics, and he's one of the fastest sprinters in the world. And in all these things, he's driven. On the other side is Eric Little, L-I-D-D-E-L. And Eric Little was born in China, didn't get to go to Cambridge or Oxford. He's the son of a missionary, and uh, it's his lifelong desire to return to China. But God has also made him a wonderful athlete. And because he's Scottish, you know, he, he goes to all these meetings in Scotland, attends all these, um, these events and, and, and runs in, in demonstration races, and he, he tends to win them all. And, and, but every time... When it's over, he stops and gives his testimony to anyone who listens. He gives it in the rain. He gives it in the sunshine. I guess it, there's some sun in Scotland from time to time. And so he, he, he does this. Well, one time he misses the prayer meeting that he was supposed to speak at because he was running a race. And his sister Jenny comes to him and says, you're losing your focus of returning to China. He goes, no, I'm not. And here he states his purpose. He says this. He says, Jenny, God made... Oops, sorry. It's written here and I'm, I lost it because I've got to do it word for word. He says, Jenny, I believe that God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. I want you to know, this is the Hollywood version. He didn't say it. He's never recorded as having said it. Oh, I wish he did. It's good theology. Uh, The end of their lives sort of shares what becomes of them. Uh, They go to the 1924 Olympics. Harold Abrams uh, wins... um, uh, one gold medal and one silver medal and becomes a national hero because they beat the Yanks. And, um, and then he eventually, before he dies, becomes the ambassador for sports in England. Eric Little goes back to China. He is thrown into a concentration camp, Japanese concentration camp in World War II, and dies just months before VJ Day. Just months. But he spent his life there. And it says that uh, all Scotland mourns when they find out 
that he had died. Because he was not just an ambassador for Jesus, but he was honored by all of Scotland to call him theirs. I find that when I am living on these purposes that I shared with you, I feel not just happy, not just, as the secular term is, in the zone. I feel God's pleasure. Are there ways in which, as you're in the midst of it, you're saying, this is why I'm on this planet. This is why I'm here. Parents, this was not meant to be a heavy, you're not very spiritual message for you. If you have children, that's your zone. Do it. Do it with joy. Do it well. That's your assignment. You may not be able to do everything else, but do that well. Because eventually they're leaving. Or maybe they're coming back. I don't know. But eventually they're leaving. And, and when they leave, I, I want to say this. Under, you know, under your direction, the best pleasure that you will ever have is to know that they are seeking God in their lives and following him. You will never have a better joy than that. And if they don't have that, then you will keep on working, keep on praying, because you understand this really counts. Be reconciled to God. And you will be feeling God's pleasure. You may be tired or disillusioned or worn out. You might be feeling used by others or you're distracted or you have bad uh, church uh, sort of uh, experiences. And, 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 And may I suggest, you've got to get back to why you are on this planet, no matter what the circumstances are around you, and to live on purpose, God's purpose, as a reconciled ambassador. Let's pray. Lord, I simply ask that we would all have that experience of saying, I am feeling God's pleasure. Meaning I am doing exactly what he wants me to do. He is smiling on me. I'm reconciled and I am finding my way to be an ambassador for reconciliation. In the home, the community, the world. I pray for the person still doubting, still skeptical. Still saying, I want my independence. I want to call on God when I want to. I don't want to consider myself a citizen of his country. Lord, I pray that they would see that real freedom comes when you're living for your creator's purposes. Real joy comes when you're right in that zone. I ask this in Jesus' name and God's people said.